0: Hey guys, just wanted to come on here real quickly before you saw this episode and say thank you so much for all the love and support. If you like this episode, share it, tell your family, tell your friends about it, and uh, let us know who you want to see on the show, what topics of type of people you want to see on the show, and uh, as always, we love you. Have a great day.
1: The following is a conversation between me, Chad, Ethan, and my lovely dad, Thomas Dufresne. Wow, I can't believe this day has come—the day that I can actually do a podcast with my own dad. My dad is one of the most unique and amazing people that I know on this planet. He—he uh, he got a PhD uh, from the University of Cincinnati, my hometown, and uh, in, uh, engin- in computer engineering, uh, in where he specialized in 3D X-ray imagery and microcomputer tomography. And then he uh, eventually got a job at P- uh, Procter and Gamble, where like uh, I don't know, if, you know, Tide or Bounty or any other toiletries, Crest or Old Spice or yeah, pretty much um, Downy. Downy's another one that they do. Yeah, uh, any toiletries, and uh, he works uh, as a principal scientist there now. And uh, he is uh i i am just so excited to like be able to share the same screen with him i guess you could say because it's uh, on a zoom call but i am very excited for this and uh i can't i can't wait for you all to hear it hello everyone welcome to the humanistic perspective episode 13 right yeah, episode 13. I can't believe it's been 13 episodes now. Uh, I have the pleasure to introduce uh, my lovely uh, father and dad, and absolutely incredible role model throughout my entire life, Thomas Dufrain. Here you are.
0: Yes, thank you for joining
2: us. Glad to be invited.
1: So uh, for, for anyone that doesn't know, because I know a good amount about your life, dad, I'd say, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, what, what you do, uh, how you got to where you are. Um, all the, all the challenges you've had to face, stuff like that. I mean, not all the challenges, but
2: yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, so like everybody else, I kind of, you know, you bumble around in life a little bit starting out, um, uh, grew up in upstate New York and, um, uh, didn't really like the cold weather very much and always kind of viewed, I would go back out to the West coast at some point And, uh, you know, came out of a small town, went to a kind of a small uh, engineering college up north, which was even colder than than, than where I was living. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got my uh, bachelor's degree in, in electrical engineering. I still didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point. Um, but, you know, just kind of immaturely, there was a there was an opening in, in uh, uh, power engineering. Uh, so I worked at a power plant for a summer job. And I decided, well, maybe I'll just try that. And I, I went out to Los Angeles, uh, where my cousin lived with a friend of mine How old and, you uh, time? you know, I got a job at an engineering company called Bechtel engineering in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, that was kind of a crazy life out there. Um, went on to, uh, then, uh, they had an opening at a nuclear power plant down in Georgia that they're actually constructing. Uh, so that's what Beckle engineering did is make power plants. So I went down there and, uh, and that was very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. that's where I, I, I met my, your mom. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> yep. uh, and so, and that got me kind of more focused on, I, you know, I didn't really like power engineering cause it's, you know, it's a very kind of old technology in a way and there wasn't a lot changing. Um, but I got an opportunity to work at the, at the, uh, nuclear power plant security, um, uh, you know, they have to, it's like a, it's like an army installation there. So they have a a perimeter that has all electronics and it was all kind of state of the art for the time of video surveillance and everything. And I thought that looked really interesting. And, and actually that job kind of ended and, and I went on to um, go to graduate school at university of Cincinnati and uh, wanted to focus in imaging. So I always, my, my, my PhD is in, I guess electrical computer engineering, but my focus has always been uh, digital imaging. Um, The part my my particular thesis was in image analysis, pattern recognition, a lot of stuff that's current now. I mean, I I did it a different way back then, but it was kind of the same thing. Even then, we were all this stuff about neural networks, deep learning. We were studying that at the time. That's been around for a long time, um, except we never had the uh, horsepower until just recently to actually realize it, but it's actually came out of the 1960s. And, and so we, we studied that as well. And it's interesting that it, it came now just in recent years, all of a sudden that the, the studies that we did there are now being used. But anyway, I went on to Procter and Gamble uh, in Cincinnati. They had an opening actually for somebody doing 3d imaging. They hadn't done any 3d imaging at that point. So I started there and, and uh, that was really great. I mean, I got an opportunity to, um, uh, to, to kind of pioneer 3D imaging at Procter and & Gamble. And it started out with MRI. We did the first kind of 3D MRI scans at uh, Procter and & Gamble. And then I went on to, I was working in uh, pharmaceuticals, looking at osteoporotic bone, and they needed to look at that in 3D. It's like very, your trabecular bone is very small, uh, has a, and, and the structure of it is what gives you the strength of your bone. So we got one of the first CT scanners ever in the world. And... Uh, and then it kind of took off from there and and uh we built a whole lab around it and now pretty much for micro ct we look at all types of things and and uh i i work kind of in the areas of of visualization of data modeling um deep ne- neural networks and uh and 3d tomography so that's uh, and then i've been doing that for like 29 years now wow
0: that's, that's quite impressive. I want to maybe ask and go back to um, when you were working at the nuclear plants and that, why did you end up going to school originally for engineering? And then how did you transition into working at the nuclear plants? And maybe what was your specialty while working with those companies?
2: So, um, yeah, so it was, you know, like everything else, it's a little, it was a little bit, you know, my early decisions probably were just based on short-term interests. Um, the, the, at the nuclear power plant, um, they didn't really have guys that really knew much about these security systems. We were really um, asking a third-party vendor to do a lot of that work, so there became a lot of opportunity to try to understand how these systems work. Um, so we were using things like microwave technology to, as over long ranges, so that if you broke that microwave signal, you could you could look for intrusion. Cameras that could, you know, now these things are pretty commonplace. Back then, they were kind of state of the art to have motion detected cameras. Um, but I just liked the whole um, that whole technology. I mean, I, you know, up to that point, I'd never even seen a digital image when I got out of school. You know, I mean, that was an area mm-hmm. that was so new that when you talk about a pixel, you know, people don't really they don't really know what you're talking about. And it's kind of when I, I, I that job ended because, amazingly, we actually finished the nuclear, po- I mean, nuclear power plants were like pyramids back then. And it took, <coughs> it took 17 years to build the plant. A lot of it was around all the requirements kept changing for nuclear power plants because we had Three Mile Island occur in the seventies. And so all the regulations, you're, you're in the middle of building a plant and all of a sudden they changed all the regulations of things. And then we had a, you know another nuclear power plant had a fire. Almost, it almost caused a meltdown. Um, in the United States, and so then they made everything so it had to be redundant, and it had put all these things, so it, it put years and years on the nuclear power plant build. But actually, we got it online, so it was quite a feat to see that. But once they did that, they didn't need to engineering anymore. Mm. So um, I saw an opportunity there then to go back to school. My, my brother-in-law Gary Wenick, uh, mm. Jake knows well. Oh yeah, um, he's he's very successful in, in as a he's now at Case Western and in, in, in chemistry PhD and, you know, manage the whole department. So he advised me, you know, why don't you consider graduate school? Because it really gives you an opportunity then to restart your life at that point and just do whatever you want to do. So I just picked a whole new field and, uh, and graduate school is a real interesting experience uh, because it's really, it's, it's so open-ended. I mean, you know, People think it's, you know, they like you're ushered through a program, but really you, you sit there and you, you just kind of come up with what's going to be your idea. You kind of come up with a thesis, which a thesis means it has to be something that nobody's ever done before, you know. So that's really challenging, you know, when you're young to say, okay, I got to come up with an idea nobody's ever done before. Seriously. And you know how Google is. I mean, try to find an idea that's original. <laughs> you know, everything you do is like 3 million people have already thought of that idea, you know. So, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so. That that was a that's where I learned to think, I think, mainly in graduate school. And I think that's why P they hire a lot of PhDs at Procter and Gamble. And I think even now people are looking at they like PhDs because not so much of what they know in their particular field, but they just know that they can figure things out. They've learned how to think independently. You know, not just somebody tells you something to do, you just go do it. You need to think creatively and and have the and have the tenacity to really follow your ideas through and write up you know 100 200 page thesis at the end of it so
0: is this thesis um, out in public could we find it now
2: sh- sure yeah i mean it's not like you know hot off the press a lot of people <laughs> buying it but all theses are published so uh jake i think
3: yeah yeah i think i saw
2: you th- th- yeah i think Mine's i saw your short, dissertation i would say for a thesis mine was only about 110 pages but my goal was I really wanted to get out. I mean, we had our mm-hmm. Carly was already born at that stage, my my, my, my uh, oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so it was important that we, uh, I get out and you know, you can just get caught. I mean, a lot, I see a lot of the downfall of people are getting their, their PhDs. They just get stuck in a, like they just write and they do, they're never happy with what they got. You know, I realized that I was more pragmatic. I knew like, nobody's going to read my, and you know, I think P&G's going to read my dissertation. I mean, they're just going to you know, look at it and, and if they like me and they like my ideas, they're going to go with it. So I didn't want to spend a lot of time doing that. And, and uh, my idea was, you know, complex, too complex maybe to <clears throat> describe here, but fairly simple, simpler from a mathematical standpoint to, to put down. So, um, but it was very practical. It really worked well. Uh, my idea to kind of do was, it was like to detect objects was what they were doing back then was looking like if you had an image, um, but that was very noisy, could you still pick out all these objects within the image automatically? And I came up with a very clever way of doing that. That was a little bit like neural networks in the sense that it just did random matching between all these points. And it looked for relationships that it could then determine, based on a database of images it could determine which of these images it was and it all kind of worked out nice and i got good results and it was enough to get me done so but it's you know life is uh usually very rarely planned you know that's why it's good i always tell jake you know just try a bunch of different things you know don't say i mean jake early on was like i only want to do this i mean that's kind of a little bit his philosophy but now i think he's seeing that uh you know, life is about trying as many things as you can. And then yeah, nobody knows what, you know, there's people I think that are, have unbelievable skills that they'll never realize because they never tried it. You know what I mean? Everybody I think is an expert in something. Everybody has an incredible gift in something. and maybe multiple things, but it's just that they don't really have the courage or the interest to explore all those things. So,
1: yeah absolutely you know i had a question when you were you know like you did your dissertation in like the early 90s which is when like the internet was just starting to get off of its feet what were like some of the predictions that like you and your colleagues or just in general in the tech world were making and which ones did did you see like fully be flushed out
2: yeah that's, that's interesting. I mean, because you're right. I mean, right at that time, I, I went to school between 1988 and 1992 for graduate school. The first time I saw the Internet, my friend was my friend Prashant was talking to his family in India, you know, uh, you know, just like texting them, you know, on the computer. And I was like, how is that possible? You know, he's like, yeah, you can use the sync on the Internet, you know, and and uh, but there, there wasn't anything HTML hadn't been invented yet. So there was no interface. Uh, there was no search. En- oh, there was search engines a little bit, you know? So, but, um, but then you know, it's unfortunate that we didn't get on the ground for it. Cause of course my friend, I, uh, well, you never do them, I guess, Jake, but Chad and uh, was my best friend and, and, and he was a genius. I mean, he was an outright genius and, and, but he didn't get on board with, um, he went down another road called genetic algorithms um, to try to understand neural networks. But both those things, neural networks, and um, I mean, so the first thing that came along was mosaic, was this idea. The first something you know that, that wrote the first uh, HTML. So to this idea that you could you know make a web page, um, and yeah, I, I I immediately knew like. This is going to change everything, you know. I mean, as soon as I saw a web page, I was like, you know, this is this is going to fundamentally change everything we do, and yeah, and it, and and it sure did. I mean, it's 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 mind-boggling now to think of how things were then, of what we can do. I mean, that you can search all information in the world now. And it's like telling you your answer while you're still typing. You know, I mean, it's right. it's the, the the search engines. It just to me the internet is is like one of the greatest human endeavors. That that it, it shows too that I mean there was no nobody the the kind of the magic behind the internet was that. No one organized it. You know, no one, there was no government of, the government fortunately never got involved in the internet. I mean, they set up the internet originally under DARPA for defense reasons. The whole idea of having these multiple so you couldn't knock out one unit and, and take out the whole United States. They had this distributed idea. But beyond that, I mean, I think of that, I usually use that as an example of, you know, you don't need, uh, you know, You don't need government. You don't need an overbody to to control things necessarily to say, what are the laws of the internet? I mean, because people came up with their own laws. And I mean, the idea that you can buy, you can shop online. You can buy even from eBay and you don't get ripped off. You know, you're buying from somebody in another state, another country. And it's because they set all these levels of transparency that allow if people do that, they, they 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 don't have business anymore, and it they, all like self-regulated. It was this whole. It was really like an organic process mm-hmm. that grew up from just hundreds of thousands of people contributing. And you know, I think it's it's like a lesson of <clears throat> that. You know, that method that is where the source of greatness comes from. It's not an individual mm-hmm. coming up with something. It's just like Apple was i think one of the greatest genius moves they made was that they developed the iphone without any apps for it you know they decided mm-hmm. that it's much better to pay people well to develop apps for us and give them you know whatever they give them 50 75 of the revenue from the app and instead of harnessing a group of small group of engineers to come up with all your apps it's kind of like what windows what microsoft did I mean, they just said, let everybody else in the world figure it out. And, you know, that's that's that was another kind of amazing thing to me that 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 is what you need to harness. You want to be successful. It's almost like if you can find ways for other people to contribute to your base idea Hmm. and and you kind of reward them for their contributions. But it's very hard for one person to come up with all the ideas themselves. I mean, yeah, you know, maybe there's some exceptions to that, but no
0: i think yeah. that's entirely true when you when you say that i wanted to ask you talk about um, the internet created so much flexibility in that at png are you in a position where you're hiring the teams you're working with and are you finding that you guys only hire people who have been in the higher education space or are you guys transitioning and finding hey there's computer geniuses out there or engineering geniuses that didn't go the traditional schooling route
2: yeah, I think we're seeing that <clears throat> I think actually PG was kind of slow on that maybe early on. I mean, we we're still looking for more conventional people and now and now they've I think they've really um, are opening up more to that. I don't think still personally, I think they need to do that more than what they're currently doing because there is really now <clears throat> the world is so different now. I mean, your knowledge is not gonna be I, I mean, I think higher education is gonna fundamentally change. Uh, I'm surprised it has they've held on, they've clinged on to it as long as they had in its current state. Um, because, um, you know, you don't need <clears throat> people of your generation, they don't get their information, they don't learn stuff by a chalkboard. You know, you, they learn stuff in a completely different way. And now we're, I think we're starting to grasp, you know, even from a programming standpoint, I mean, these people—it's the people that can, you know, the great programmers now. Let's call them just IT or computer people in general—are the people that can take all these disparate. They know how to access all the information of the world. They don't have to write a lot of new. All ideas are almost, you know, I mean, there's there's very few ideas you really have to come up with. Most of the ideas are already out there. You just need to find them. And I think your generation is much better at tapping into all the resources that are already available to you and and how do you harness all that vast amount of information and then add to it i mean just the combination of all those ideas make bigger new ideas you know but you don't have to develop everything from scratch and so i think <clears throat> i would like to see we we purposely hire people that are are not college graduates i mean i don't even really to be honest, I don't even know if I want a college graduate, a computer programmer, because the good computer programmers decide they don't need to go to college, you know, to learn programming. So you're missing opportunities to say, I only want to have, you know, this type of person with this type of education. So I think, I think Proctor very progressive now. So I think they're getting there on all those fronts. And um, it's just, it takes time to change all the systems that are in place currently of how you, re- how you recruit, you know, what you look for. But I mean, the last, you know, I just, I mean, the last guy I hired, he's working in my lab, Alex. I think Jake met him at our, our party. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I did. So he's just high school grad. I got two people in my lab that are doing high level work that are both just high school graduates. One wow. is uh, 45, I mean, and but they're just, um, the, the older one, I mean, Alex is kind of new, so I, I can't speak to that. But the, the other guy, Mark, is just, he's one of the smartest guys I've ever met. And, you know, he just came out of the tool shop, but he just, he can just learn anything you want to give him. So I, I, I always put more credit to that than somebody who's book smart, you know, because it's, it's skills that I don't even, you know, I guess I look for, I think that's like uh, uh, skills that I, I, I wish I wish I even possessed more, you know, that, that to look at something that you've never seen before and you can just, figure out how it works very quickly. So, so in the end, I think everybody's going to get there. I, I personally think what they have to do, this is my idea is that I think what you got to do, if you want to really make this thing work and get away from schools, I mean, I mean, we should be basing we should hiring people based on, on, on their knowledge, not on where they got it from, you know? Really? So if you want to say, am I a good, I'm going to computer science. Okay. Well, Give, have come up with a comprehensive test that the person does, you know, of test their all their skills, you know. But don't worry about if they got that out of their basement or they went to, you know, the best Ivy League school to get it. I mean, just, you know, give them a chance and give people – that would cause – if it would all work backwards. I mean, if companies said, this is our new criteria for hiring. We don't care where you got it from. All of a sudden, you know, all these – the name brand schools would be, would say, well, like, well, and we even see that it's even true now. I mean, a lot of people are realizing nobody's really looking at what school you came out of as much anymore. They're looking at, what do you know? So the schools are being people are going, why can't I just go to some community college for two years? And then I'll spend my last two years at some and get a four, just get a four year degree one way or another. But I think it's even moving beyond that to say, um, you know, maybe you don't have to have go to school at all. We still need what we haven't developed yet in in the United States. I don't know if I should just be rambling on, but.
0: um, No, please. No, no, no. We (laughs) love this. We love this. this.
2: Um, I I really think what we need in the United States is is we don't really have a system in place. Like suppose you want, suppose you want to be an electrical engineer Mm -hmm. and, and uh, even that has different meaning these days, but suppose you want to be, uh, you know, really like study, you know, RF and those parts, you know, difficult things. You're not going to, it's difficult to pick those up just reading, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would like to see uh, like a, just like, just like we've distributed everything else. We have a, like, like there's a way that you can read stuff online. You can tap in to ask people questions like you would advisors in school, like take a whole school and spread it out into small units. So if I need to, I can go down the, down to some part of Cincinnati and I can, if I need to do a real practical lab thing for a certain, you know, I can get all my skills that I need, uh, but it's not just one giant campus university. It's, it's just wherever I need those like little things, I think would spring up and there'd be this growth of like, all we do is we're like a, a company that, that gives hands-on practical training for different labs. You know, we're just a big yeah. lab and you come in there, if you want to understand biology and all that stuff, you know, because that's you know, like, you, you can't do that stuff just out of your house. But at the same time, I don't like this idea of you got to go to school at college and you got to take all the humanities and you got to take all this stuff. And, and what's causing it is, I mean, of course, we're going to have a crash probably in student loans right now because you're paying, people are paying, you know, way too much money for skills that are not of any use to anybody. And, t- and at, at some point we could afford that. I mean, it's nice to have well-rounded citizens and say we're going to have, you know, people that, that understand history and humanities and, and um, but not with not when you come out with a $200,000 bill, you know, you can't, it, it's just people are, are, we got to do something different there. And I think the answer is people just need the skills that they need to, to, do, to do it, to get started in the job, you know. It's more yeah. like what we should have done a long time ago. I mean, what bothers me is we don't, i like to see education be, I mean, how many people know how to plumb or do electrical wire or, or put up a wall? I mean, these are all skills that everybody wishes they had in later life, you know? Mm -hmm. And you could teach that, you could teach that just in, you know, you could teach that in high school. That's what we should be teaching in high school. I think, you know, I mean, we spend a lot of time on abstract stuff that I, I think the world is changing now, you know, we should, um, or we how should to
1: doing do your things, taxes or how to do like anything like right. I just from being out like here, honestly, like I feel like I've learned so much being out here in in Illinois than I ever learned in my four years. I mean, I learned a lot of music and how what, and it made me appreciate music on a different level. But in terms of life skills, I've learned way more being out here. And, and, right. and so, yeah, I totally agree. I feel like that should definitely be more implemented into our schooling.
2: Yeah, it should be, schools should just be, you know, we should get away from schools and get more into, or learn. I mean, it should be more about knowledge mm-hmm. and less about any formal school, or, you know, what that looks like. It's like, what knowledge, how can we open up our thinking to say, we just want people to be able to attain knowledge um, easily, you know. The internet provides a lot of that, but to, there's, still a, there's still a gap there that, An 18 year old, he doesn't know how to get from. He wants maybe he has an interest in getting in a certain area, but there's no real thing unless we're back to the normal school thing. You know, it'd be nice just to, I don't know, really rethink that. I think that's. I I feel bad for kids that are coming out now and have these tremendous debts in school. You know, and they got, they got very little. Jake, you're fortunate. You're not one of them, but, um, it's 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 really. It's an epidemic in our
1: Truly. country right now. Yeah. I mean, the value is just going significantly down
2: while the price, price of college is going, going significantly up. Well, it's, uh, uh, it's- yeah, and, you know, and, and, right. And the, and the price of information has dropped almost to zero now. So, I mean, it used to be that colleges possessed all the information. You couldn't, you couldn't, there was, uh, you get your, you got your encyclopedia set. Uh, that was all you had for ways and your dictionary is the only way you could, could obtain information. You know, now (laughs) Now all the information of the world is available. Were you gonna say?
1: Well, I was gonna say, yeah. I could just ask Siri any question, and then I know,
2: right? And you could you could do it online. MIT has all their courses online. You can take for free. You can. Why do we need to have every? We have. Why do we have to need ten thousand professors teaching us the same subject matter? You know, why can't we just have the best professor teach it once and? you know, show those seminars. I mean, you sit in lectures at engineering schools and it's no different than if you did it. I mean, it isn't like you interact and ask questions. I mean, it's pretty much people just give lectures, you know, and then it's done by that local guy. And I mean, we're not, it's like the world has completely changed, but universities are kind of the same as they always were. You know, I mean, I think we should just, uh, you know, we haven't realized this benefit that information is is all the information in the world is now for free and yet education is higher than it's ever been you know yeah. so and change I, is coming and it's going to come rapidly when it does these things and- don't happen these these things these transitions these days i think will be um once it starts moving it'll to be like a, an avalanche of people just going over to like realizing colleges aren't uh, now uh, you still got doctors and stuff. You're not going to get that off the internet. But I mean, at the same time, I have my skin doctor I go to. I mean, do I really need have? Is it was important that he studied? You know, eight years of every other thing in the human body. I mean, can't we have a person? Can't we have a doctor that all he does? This is all he does anyway. He just focuses on one thing. Right. Can not he go to college just to focus on that one thing? I mean, we 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 make it. We blame the doctors. Like they're spending, you know, they cost a lot. But I mean, really, they're in the same boat as everybody else. I mean, they, they, their expenses. I mean, they're trying to recoup spending such a tremendous amount of money going to school for it. Why don't we find a way to make the whole process cheaper? You know, that's the thing. That's the thing with life is you can't just look at the end product. You know, you can't say. Medical costs are too high in the United States. We got to do something about it, which everybody agrees there's a real problem, right? Mm-hmm. But who you can't just go to the first step and say, okay, you got to charge us less. Because that person is paying all I mean, you know, everybody down the line from who builds the hospitals to who sells them their supplies to going to school. I mean, everything is expensive there. It's all it's all built in. If you just go to the last guy, you end up with this problem that they just say, okay, somehow you know, it costs me $150 to go for an, a, a checkup. My insurance covers whatever, $100 of that. And I pay my 50 or, I mean, it's just causes things that are going to medical insurance then keeps going up and up. You know, it's not, it's, it's somehow we got to change this, these whole systems uh, at the very beginning of how you educate people. Can we make somebody more practical? So they come out, they make, looking at your moles on your body and they feel that's a pretty good job, you know?
1: Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I have a question though because I feel like I've always lived in a world in which, you know, medical costs have always been extremely high. Has it always been like that?
0: Was it like that when you were young?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's, no, it's gotten worse for sure. I mean, I think part of the problem is, you know, I'll steal it from your, your grandfather, uh, Ross. I mean, uh-huh. his phrase, his phrase was that we can't afford our own technology anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we, we keep, you know, it used to guy would just listen to your heart. He tapped your knee. I mean, that was like your medical, you know, I mean, now you go to a, get the, you get cat scans, you get the, you know, all these things are millions of dollars worth of equipment, you know, and then the old cat scanner is not good anymore. We're going to get the new cat scanner, which is twice as much. And you keep building new things all the time. You know, we have drug companies coming out, spending, um, you know, I'm a little sympathetic to the drug companies because that's what I used to do is I worked for a pharmaceutical company and people like pharmaceutical companies are just, you know, ripping people off. And But, you know, they don't appreciate that. I mean, for every like blockbuster drug you have, you have like a hundred failures and those failures aren't like they failed while you were in the lab. They failed after you spent two hundred million dollars on a clinical study, you know. So, I mean, the government also has to take some responsibility for saying how can we help pharmaceutical companies reduce the cost of approved drugs. And one of the things is, um, I think we should move away from. So, when you do a clinical study, um, you uh, like we did let's take one for Procter Gamble did for hip fracture. Um, so we wanted to show that our, our drug could reduce hip fracture. Um, so the first part of the study is called the safety study. And that's, that's fairly short and fairly inexpensive. Just to see, is this drug safe? If you take this drug, is anything bad gonna happen to you? Uh, you can do that fairly easily. But if you're trying to show that a percentage of people aren't gonna get a hip fracture, because people don't get a hip for, I mean, you know, I mean, it isn't like everybody who, who's in the study is going to get a hip fracture anyway. So you have to put thousands of people in a study, you have to monitor them for three years. And you have to, you know, it's also oh, going to be double blinded placebo controlled study. And then at the end of that, you know, then you find out your results three years later. And, you know, I almost think like we should do more we we just approve drugs for safety. Like this drug's safe. I have no idea if it works well. We think it works well. It should work well, but we don't, we're not sure of that we're going to let just people in the, use it. And if it works well for you now, that comes with some risk, I guess mm. that, Oh, maybe this drug won't work well for me, but I mean, we got it. We, I think as a country, we have to say, all right, we're very risk adverse in the United States. So we say, this drug's 95% safe and that costs us a certain number to get there. hundred, let's say it costs us $50 million to figure out that this thing is 95% safe. Well, it's 95% safe good enough because we want to go to 98% safe. Now that's another hundred million dollars, you know? <laughs> so with it, if you want prices to be cheaper, then you got to ex- assume more risk for yourself. You know, we're, we're in a very uh, uh, Litigious environment, right? So if you feel like something went bad, something happened bad to me, I'm suing this person now because they, sh- they this this thing didn't do what they said it was going to do. But
1: you under know? the Prep Act, they can't though, right? These pharmaceutical companies don't hold any liability if someone were to get bad side effects from it, right? You're just talking
2: about the vaccine.
1: Well, no, just in general about any drugs that come out. That's the reason why, like, whenever you do trials and stuff like that, you have to consent. Like, no matter what happens. Um, oh, that's true. No trials
2: because they're saying a risk there, but that doesn't apply once they get out. If they have, of course, drug companies have lost, have been sued for hundreds of millions of de- dollars. That applies only during the trial. Only during the sued. trial, okay? Because because you're saying you're saying we know it's we haven't we haven't verified its safety yet. That's why we're doing a trial. But after it's up, then it's kind of the sky's the limit of what you can sue people for um and i'm not saying you should get rid of all of that but i mean those are all you know we you know doctors pay you know lots of money for malpractice every year you know i mean fifty thousand seventy five thousand dollars you know i mean somebody has to pay that i mean the doctor's not just eating that cost. that's why they're charging you more i mean so it, it it becomes like i don't know it's it's a tricky thing of how you know what we do with all these, how to reduce these costs of all these different things. It's everything is like there's a for everything, you know, everything you reduce, you have to probably accept some more risk, you know.
1: Do you see us ourselves living in a world where we have all this very advanced, like godlike technology just continuing to advance and having? the costs also be coming down? Like, do you see, would you, do you think that we'll see a transition of hospitals, hospitals wanting to be like, okay, we don't need to use the most advanced up-to-date versions of this. So we're going
2: to use the cheaper versions. Is there a safety issue with that? Well, no, there's not a safety issue. It's, it's the same way. uh, They all, all all these people, it all goes back to capitalism in a way, I guess that people are trying to protect their own self-interests. So, um, Nobody wants to use the most expensive equipment. I mean, you'd like to think they're thinking out of the good of humanity, but most people are thinking about, I want to get as many patients as I can through my hospital, you know, and not have them go to the other hospital. That, you know, so uh, mm-hmm. that's what drives, you know, come to our hospital because we have the latest technology, you know? I mean, this guy's using older technology. They stink, you know? We're great. So that unfortunately, I think people would be less... I think that would work. What you're saying, I mean, I think. The, but, but I think that if it, you were it, to tell people, but it's what people, drives competition, you know.
1: Yeah, but like what I'm saying though is, is like, yes, this person might have better technology, but if I'm offering the same results and the same like procedures, but for cheaper, but it's not the most up to date. Do you think that would be more enticing for people nowadays? Like,
2: yeah, yeah, I think that's a great idea that that it could be that way. But again, it goes back to litigation. So. Uh, you know, there's a, a CYA, uh, you know, thing with people that, I mean, the hospitals need to cover, protect themselves, you know? So if they're using a cheaper technology and you die because they didn't use the latest thing, then they're going to have liability for that. So you have to protect somehow part of that, then, if we're going to go that route and say, you know, we don't need all these latest technologies and we don't need to run a hundred tests on people every time and spend all this money. But with that comes the risk that you're going to miss something. If you don't run a hundred tests right now, there is no, there is no motivation for a hospital to say, I'm going to run less tests on somebody because they make more money on the tests and, and it protects them. They have a higher chance of finding any problem with you, you know? So again, if you want to do that, it comes with us. You have to say, okay, I'm willing to say at a much cheaper cost, But I'm not getting the same protection uh, and I'm kind of signing my rights away to say that if not using that latest technology resulted in something bad for me, I'm willing to accept that risk.
1: Absolutely. The thing though that I, the thing that makes me think about that situation of like technology being the most up to date and being the most accurate is like, I always think about the COVID tests that are happening right now, you know, the specific, the difference between like the PCR tests, which detect the RNA versus the uh, rapid tests, which detect the antigen. And uh, the, the PCR tests are like 1% more effective, or even like a percentage, a point, like a percentage of a percent. more effective, but it's significantly cheaper to get Anston chest out, out into the public than paying like $135. I mean, most people cover; it's covered by insurance, so it doesn't matter, but it's just, it takes longer to get the results and it's more expensive to even just administer. So I just, I, I, I just wonder like, what is the true, what, what would be more of a priority for people? Is it being one less than a percent, more effective and it's cost much more or it being, you know, that 98% effectiveness and it's about a hundred dollars cheaper.
2: You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So what you got to do there though, I think is to get rid of the insurance in in between because if the insurance covers your cost, then you're still probably going to go with, I mean, everybody, again, I go back to the philosophy, everybody thinks in their own self-interest. So if it's cheap, it's the same price for you to get the extra 1%, then of course you're going to take the, you're going to do that. Right. But if behind the scenes they are actually charging an extra $75 for that test, if you were paying that money, then you really might think, okay, I'm not going to pay another $75 for this test. That's why I think insurance, maybe we got to go the other way with medical insurance Now we don't need more medical insurance. We actually need less medical insurance. We need to, we need to have more of the real costs. I mean, maybe it's a pain for people, but I mean, you know, if, if your, if your checkups were $200, nobody would go for a checkup, right? I mean, they go because they make them affordable right now through insurance, but somehow we got to go through that pain point that doctors need to reduce, you know, I mean, doctors only charge that money because, because they're getting, they're getting money from insurance. You know, as soon as you take that, it's like all, all incentives kind of work that way. We say, okay, we're going to, we want, we want to have, um, uh, uh, you know, fuel efficient cars and we want to have, um, uh, you know, these hybrid or electric cars. And so we're, we're going to give those companies, if you buy an electric car, we're going to give you $8,000 off your car. You know, these are the things that the government ran, right? So that sounds great. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get it for $8,000 less, but the reality is you don't really get it for $8,000 less. They just simply raised the price by $8,000, at their end because they already know the price point they need to sell this car at they they can't make money unless they sell it for thirty thousand dollars you know so um they don't pass that on to you they just they just kind of and then when the subsidy goes away then they'll start dropping the price again so i mean we really got to make the if we're gonna make hospitals somehow we got to get away from insurance is is stopping the supply and demand it's breaking the supply and demand price i mean you know I mean, I believe everything is based on the three things, of supply, demand, and price point. You know, the price point sets based on supply and demand. And there's a right price point for everything, but that's being kind of screwed up by insurance right now because the price point we're paying is not the same price point that actually the doctor is asking. And so there's a big gap that's being fed, fed, fed by insurance, and it results in this kind of explosion of medical costs that, and and it's, you know, people are having a hard time getting insurance now because it's, it's all out of whack, you know?
0: Truly, I wanted to uh, maybe hear your interpretations or opinions on algorithms, AI and social media. Um, Do you think these companies are handling this in an ethical way? Is there even a way to handle it ethically with how we're so connected nowadays? Maybe what are some thoughts on that world?
2: So, you know, I I think, I think as far as ethics go, that um, I think this is kind of a big problem in our society. I mean, it's not that people are unethical. I I think most people are ethical for the most part. I, you know, even people, their political persuasion I don't agree with or whatever. I think everybody, for the most part, I mean, at least I think that's a good assumption to think that most people are trying to do the best they can. You know, there's not... A lot of people like to cast it. I mean, these days we're casting each side as evil, you know, like we're the good ones and they're the evil ones, you know, but the reality probably is that if you looked at their perspective, they're trying to do things right. Maybe their solution is not the solution you would go for, but I think the problem in is like, um, is that, you know, science and, you know, let's call it algorithm development, you know, a a branch of science. I mean, science is, is this search for truth at its essence, you know, I mean, so there's one, I believe there's one true thing about everything. So, I mean, you can search for that true optimal answer, but the problem is even when you're an algorithm developer, I mean, if you have a bias and everybody has a bias, then your, everything you do will be affected by that bias, you know, and it becomes very difficult. People don't, I mean, you know, you know, we do double blind placebo controlled studies for a reason, you know, that we don't let the doctor know what type of drug he's getting. We don't let the patient know what type of drug they're receiving because unintentionally, if you, if the doctor knew, it would change the results of it, even though doctors don't, you know, they could have the best of intentions. And so, the biases are much stronger these days, you know. I mean, because we have uh, the political situation is much more. People are in camps now, you know, and and with the way the media is, it, it's breaking down this the, the 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 idea that there's so many media outlets now, there's so many ways you can get your information that you no longer have to. People, again, serving their own self-interest, the media companies don't have to um, provide just something that makes sense for everybody. They can just feed it directly to the people that are listening to them, you know? And so you get this very biased thing. I think that's what I worry about with, from an ethical standpoint is that people think they're doing good. They think they're being fair, but they don't realize that it's impossible for a human being that has a strong bias to, you know, to just, if you, unless you put systems in place to protect against the, that effect, then uh, you know I think these algorithms will bias toward the person's liking, you know, and so I do think you're going to end up with a lot of bias in these in these AI algorithms because you know AI is just pattern recognition. It's just looking for trends. It's trying to figure out complex you know patterns in life, be it images or how people are going to respond um but inadvertently just how you train that that algorithm can have a major effect on its outcome especially for these social media you know things are so looking for dangerous i mean suppose you have bots that are trying to find uh you know we're going to block dangerous stuff i mean dangerous is not a, a scientific word you know so it's it's really what do you consider to be dangerous you have these assumptions you know so we have these complex models that are beautiful but we got the underlying assumptions maybe flawed you know and that and that and that and it's way too complicated and they start saying well you know we didn't do it the algorithm just came up with this you know but it, it always is there's always assumptions in, in everything and in all these models that you do uh, you know and so I think it's I think I'm worried, I'm worried that it's, I'd rather just people say, I'm being biased on this thing, you know, being honest and saying, oh, I'm not biased. I have a model here that's predicting these things, you know, and it's, and it's out of my control, you know, because I don't know, it's just, it's just it goes against human nature. I mean, you look at every model, any model, I mean, I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's going way back, I mean, You know, they thought the universe was expanding at a certain rate. And now like 10 years ago, they decided they were completely off with the rate of, I mean, those people in the early day, whoever made that, I mean, they just, their model is probably right, but they just made some assumptions about something that turned out to be wrong. You know, and I think I'm not a big, uh, models I think are, 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 are kind of over, overused in a way. I mean, or their confidence in them is, is, is artificial. I, I think. I think we will see a lot of bad things come out of it as less and less people really understand what deep learning is really doing, and it gets more complicated. That it would be hard to know where the biases are in. And again, I, I'm not. It's nothing nefarious that these people are trying to change the world. It's just that it, the outcomes match their own view of the world. And so they look like they're working accurately, but then if you're on the other side of it, you look like this thing is biasing against me. So I guess maybe that's always been a problem. It's just going to be masked more than it used to be. You know, it used to be an editor just saying, you know, making a decision and you can say, well, that editors, now it's gonna be a, a series of computer algorithms, but deep down someone, you know, those, those things can always be modified to inadvertently get the outcome you want to get and you know i mean jake knows that's why I've, I, my big issue with uh, like climate change mm-hmm. <laughs> is that, mm-hmm. i mean i mean uh, it offends me kind of as a scientist more than it offends me that i mean it could be really uh, significant climate change going on it could be man-made very well man-made problems but the science of it has been has been has been uh corrupted in my opinion and where that the you know, a person speaking out against it is now we call a denier, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a very offensive word to me as a scientist, because scientists, you know, I mean, denying, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. That's a fundamental job of a scientist is to look at existing theory and try to criticize it. I mean, that's how we advance, you know, and now it's turning into like, you're some, you know, it's like they're talking like the Holocaust, like, you know, you're a denier of something that's a fact The you know, global warming, the models are extremely complicated. And, you know, a couple dozen people probably in the world understand how those models were developed, you know, and you got a lot of other scientists just kind of chiming in. But weather is complicated you know i mean it's it's i mean if we could if we knew we can't predict really what the weather's going to be like next week let alone like 20 years so maybe they're doing a good job and again i I think it's not it's not the the people are bad i or whatever it's just that we have to realize our own shortcomings you know this is my this is my big beef in in the world right now is like um I, i think our constitution itself has survived as well as it has is because it's built on man's shortcomings not his strengths you know but how can we limit the shortcomings of people and i think that idea always has to be applied in everything you do in science and everything it's like you know people will always bias stuff it's our nature to bias stuff i mean you can't really you know i don't think people should take that as a people take that as a criticism like uh that you're saying I'm i'm No, I'm not saying you're cheating. I'm just saying that you're a person that's that it's impossible for you to to not be influenced, you know, your own own thinking of the world to not influence how you do things unless you put really stringent things in place and checks and balances to say, okay, I want to balance this off against the guy that, you know, know, I mean, I would love to see news agencies go to like 50% of the people are one and 50% of the people are the other camp, you know, Mm -hmm. and they have to come up with a story that is both people think this is, this is good, you know, like omnibudsman, I guess they would call them back in the day of, you know, that they'd look at these things and the same way with science is like, I mean, human bias is becoming an epidemic problem in our country because nobody's checking it anymore. They're just, and what's really what led to the terrible thing in DC really. I mean, those people went in and uh, you know, I mean, I'm a conservative, but you know, I was, you know what they did you know kind of you know crossing the line and trying to stop the election that was uh you know that was really just being fed a lot of biased information that wasn't accurate and and get them thinking of things that they they shouldn't have done you know um and it made me kind of sad because i mean i'm conservative so i mean i thought uh, How
4: would you say is the best way of keeping even or just having regulations or accountability? I think a lot of these big things, like you're saying, they come up with you know good initiatives or good intention from the start, and then there is that bias part. But how do we have accountability even on the bottom lines? Because like even particularly in my industry, I see with all the insurance companies, the people on the bottom line are not being account. There's no accountability to make sure they're doing the right thing. So, what do you think the best implement like? things you can put forward in companies and organizations than even the government and media that's a lot of different industries what do you think the best way is keeping people more accountable or what's maybe one large thing we could do to even
2: start a oh the best thing which is all your generation has moved to quite a bit is the idea of transparency so we're seeing this already in in like well png sees it with um, you know, what's in your product, you know, we want to know, we don't really trust you anymore that what's in your product safe. We want to know what's in it. We'll do our own research and figure out if that's <laughs> safe. All your job is to tell us exactly what's in your product, you know, and that's really completely changed things even for the consumer goods area, you know. Um, I mean, it's not all good for us. Of course, we have to like get rid of a lot of stuff, get new stuff. And, you know, a lot of their concerns are, are maybe on, you know, I mean, they don't really understand what, parts per billion or trillion mean in something. But I mean, but still, I think it's an overall good thing that it gives a consumer the ability to, to transparency gives the consumer the ability to, I mean, insurance companies are notorious for lack of transparency, right? I mean, you have no idea what's going on it. You don't even know, I mean, most people don't even know like what my bill was originally from the hospital. They just right. see their part that they pay, you know? They don't know, and inside the insurance company, who knows what's going on, and nobody demands anything of the insurance company because you don't see the cons- you don't see the insurance company really like. I mean, you're more concerned with what's in your drink, you know, than than like than the insurance company. So we got to take that same level of of kind of grassroots of um, transparency that we demand of our um, businesses and try to apply that in more areas. So like. I want to be with an insurance company that's completely transparent, you know. I want to know, uh, you know, everything about how they're coming up with their costs, uh, you know. I mean, and try to get... And now you... Because you want to change the motivation of the company. Again, always work under the assumption that people will, will satisfy their own self-interest, you know. They're not going to do anything noble for society. They're going to do things that protect their business. But if you make part of protecting their business to be transparent. I don't know how exactly you get there on on insurance companies or things like that. But I think this idea of, of, of people taking more control and not accepting that, you know, I mean, like grassroots efforts to try to change things, you know, as terms of, of uh, whatever we do for them, coming up with creative ideas around medical stuff. I mean, I think we'll see, uh you know we'll see more people pop up i mean you know it's like the mail system controlled like you know there was only one way you could get packages delivered you know 30 years ago i mean all of a sudden amazon gave an idea like why do we even need like ups or anybody what's almost like hire people to go in their car and drop things off you know and people you know would have thought oh that's gonna be terrible they're gonna get ripped off there's gonna be... but i mean actually we do uber we do all these things that like all of a sudden we break the paradigm of you got it. you know, taxi is the only way you can get from point A to point B, you know. Um, that yeah. that kind of breaking of those paradigms just has to occur across every level of everything we do in society, you know, so that we can use this great information uh, at our fingertips to somehow drive change right. in That's everything. Everything thing. has to become more populous, I think.
4: Yeah, like the, one of the largest things I see is even, you know, the things even when we're going back to the insurance companies on that whole basis is a lot of it is just a lot of people have never been like, even just within my instance, in my industry, like these insurance companies, if you just start bringing things up, it's because they've been going around. You'll, like you said, people are never focused on the insurance companies. They're doing the same things and same things. And there's so much wasteful spending. It's like ridiculous. It's not, there's no need for the wasteful spending that's there, but no one ever calls them out on anything. So like, that's one of the biggest things, like even with my company, we've been able to start when we're working mm-hmm. co with these insurance companies, start calling them out on the things that they're doing. And now we're bringing this a bigger attention and awareness because I think people don't realize it. Right. And when we're starting to raise this awareness, now you see people starting to move and get at their fingertips and actually try to make a motion because people are making a big deal. So I think a lot of it just comes down to the awareness, like you're saying, because people aren't paying attention to where those numbers are. And when you look at like Blue Cross Blue Shield and where I'm trying to look and how they spend their budgets and where the money's being dispersed and all kind of stuff, a lot of that stuff you just can't find. And it's not transparent or it's there deep down. You have to keep researching really hard. But like that needs to be more transparent because there's millions, billions of dollars, even just from one insurance company of wasteful spending, and that money can be used for way different initiatives. And that's where I think then we look at like the cost of prescription drugs and stuff like that. That inflation yeah. of that rate of those drugs is not necessarily needed just because we could be making huge price cuts in other areas, but then there's guys that are in higher roles that are really just worried about the numbers. Would you say that's accurate or no?
2: So it's like, how do you do the, you know, it's like <clears throat> How do you set up incentives for people to do all the right things? You know, I mean, a classic example like when Jake went to when we were in uh, we went to high school. Where he went to high school, you know, there was constantly we were underfunded there, so there was constantly uh, trying to do budget cuts to the school system. You know, so so if the people say we're not voting for a levy, and they say okay, we're going to cut something, you know. So what does the schools always cut when you do that? They don't cut the middle manager, the people you're talking about in the insurance that are like, this, what does this person really do? We don't even need this person, you know, because what they'll do is they'll try to cut the person that that most hurts you. So we'll cut the bus drivers as the first thing we cut, you know, because you'll feel that, or we'll cut sports programs, you know, what what can we do that we're going to punish you for not funding us, you know? And it's, it's a, you know, so it's like, if you just think in terms of, we got to count systems that can avoid that type of, of, of behavior. I mean, how do we how do we um, now normally I mean companies kind of I mean Procter Gamble is a pretty efficient company uh, because there's no value in us having any deadwood within our company. I mean they're, they're we want to get rid of them, they're just wasting our own money, you know. But but in other organizations, you have where you're just billing hours to other people, you know. I mean, and so as long as that person is getting, you know, somehow those hours are getting billed, then, you know, we don't really want to change it. And as long as we get a budget, you know, budgets are like this is where the government has big issues because it's like, you know, they get a budget for a certain project And the last thing they wanna do, if somebody gives them a billion dollars is to say, hey, you know what, we cut all these things, we only spend up 700 million of your billion dollars. Because you know what happens next year is they only give them 700 million to do the job. So they didn't get any incentive for doing all those cost savings, they never realized it. So their goal is to say, make sure the number one thing we gotta do this year is spend that billion dollars, you know? And, and And it destroys, it's not, again, it's not like the government's evil, it's just that the incentive programs for them they're not being incentivized to to reduce the cost because what they how they get rewarded for that is they cut their budget the next year and a lot this is a lot of structures of a lot of companies is that they're trying to protect they got allotted a certain amount of money and and they want to spend that money and they don't want to show that we don't need all that money so they have a lot of middle manager people that aren't really doing anything but and the cost is never really because i don't know i, didn't, I don't really know what the answer there is but it's it it's got to be Everything in life is just based on incentivizing self-interest so they best serve society. You know what I mean? We've got to structure things in a way that most of the time it does. I mean, for a lot of stuff, you see electronics, all this other parts of consumer life, it's all you're getting, you know, what you guys have at your disposal and this iP- you know iPad I'm looking at right now. I mean, these are technologies that are amazing for very low cost, you know, but it's because you know, they I mean, if they don't do it, the next person's, everybody's trying to compete against each other at price points. So you keep driving the price down. Um, you look at all the problems, it's always is around where that's where that idea of supply and demand and price point break down in your thing. I mean, if you're just getting paid to, you're getting funded on some, on a project that you don't have a lot of accountability on. And the more complex the thing, the harder it is to have accountability. Insurance companies are so complex that, you know, it takes a lot of effort to try to have accountability. I mean, government programs are even bigger, you know, so I mean. Well,
4: and sometimes those accountability initiatives from the start costs are the costs right away for you from the start entry. are so large that they don't want to ever find the extra money to spend those initiatives. But in the long run, it would help out.
2: Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I just think as a society, we got to find the ways that more people we privatize more aspects of things um, so that this idea of, you know, saving money is always in your interest. You know, somehow that always gets passed on to the consumer in a lot of the areas that's natural In other areas where we see it, maybe school education is another one that the consumer of the education, I mean, the consumer of education is not the same person that's paying for it generally, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, so, I mean, kids go to high school, but they don't pay. I mean, it's the parents that pay for the high school. So, um, I mean, there's kind of a disconnect. What do what do the or, you know what do the kids need to get what they need versus you know parents' perception of that. Um, so I don't know. I think so. If we could just everything is just like how do we get how do we get a more direct line between the consumer and the end product and a lot of these institutions i hope insurance and everything else will fall into line eventually but True. what's going to have to happen there's going to be a big collapse somehow in right. in the medical i mean like insurance is going to somehow we're going to run out of money and people can't get insurance. so they're trying to do you know i mean the, the plan is like obamacare or whatever you know we'll just provide insurance to people for free you know but that doesn't really address the problem that and the insurance companies even more they're getting. I mean, this is what happened with this is why debt went so high for, for colleges, because the government said, you know, we're going to make it easy for everybody to go to school. We're going to give you loans. That sounds good. I mean, I guess oh, we're going to educate. But I mean, it caused a terrible situation because you added all this money into the system that the government was infusing all this money. In, and what the, how did the colleges respond? They raised their prices because... Supply and demand was again changed, okay? You're, you're putting a lot more money in so they can afford to raise the price point for college, which drove and then when the debt well, now when the price, when the bill comes due, it's a tremendous debt all of a sudden these people have. I mean, uh, you know what I never knew anybody who came out of school. That wasn't a doctor that had like $80,000 of debt. I mean, now right. it's just commonplace.